Hi, everybody, and welcome to True Stories of Tinseltown. And you know my guest, and I love her. She has been on, how many times have you been on Sloan? Three, four times? Um, I think this is my fourth time, isn't it? I've kind of lost track. It's been so many. You regular you. Yes. This is Sloan DeForest. I'm becoming a regular. Yes. I love it, though. We did it. I love the one we did on Jean Tierney, if I do say so myself. But today, we are talking about your book, this is is this the first one you did for TCM? Second. What's the this? first was uh, sci-fi. I love that one too. This one you guys will love. Check it out. Dynamic Dames. I love that. 50 Leading Ladies Who Made History by Sloane DeForest. And the foreword by one of the Catwomen, Julie Newmar. And I love that. She was she was something else. She is something else. She was I love her as a kid to death, but Julie Newmar was the original and the best Catwoman in my book. I think she so, was too. So fine and fabulous. And so feline. <laughs> she was wonderful. And um, yeah. not. And I do love her as a kid. Don't get me wrong. I think she's wonderful. As, as mm-hmm. What's-His-Face said, did you know Orson Welles says she's the most... Uh, what does she say? I'm going to try to get Eartha's daughter on. She's really, you know, doing this great stuff with her legacy. Um, but... Orson Welles said of Eartha Kitt, she is the most exciting woman alive. How do you live by that? Yeah, right? I think he had a fling with her. <laughs> yes, he did. He? Yeah. How can you live by that? I don't know. I know. That's kind of incredible. Wow. Coming from Wells. But Eartha Kitt was amazing. I love her singing. I love her Dancing. Look, her. I, she's just amazing. Mm-hmm. I love her look as well. And she, she was just Mrs. Cool. I just love her. Ms. Cool. And, um... But she's not one of the dames we're talking about. So. Nope. Unfortunately, Hollywood didn't give her that many uh, great parts. Anna Lucas Or leading parts. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it was amazing because they didn't want to see uh, black people romantically involved with one another. Isn't that weird? In, in oh, you mean movies? for people of color? Yes. To be. You didn't want. Yes. Well, they couldn't. I mean, it was forbidden by the production code to have any interracial romances. So they always had to cheat it, you know. But I'm saying that they did not have um, two people of color romance, like Sidney Poitier. They they just didn't want to show people romantic. Oh, in general. general. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of weirdness going on. Yes, thankfully that's over. And anyway, why don't you talk about our first fabulous dame? Dynamic dame. Well, she's quite dynamic, and her name is Norma Shearer in The Divorcee. And she, I thought we'd start with her because she really kind of kicked the whole movement into gear as far as the pre-code. This was 1930, and she, of course... People probably know she was married to Irving Thalberg at MGM, the head of production. And yet before she even dated him and much less married him, she was a budding star in her own right. Right. And then when she married him, she did get much of the good properties. But, you know, as Robert Osborne uh, Osborne uh, from TCM, God rest his soul, and others have pointed out, yeah, you know, you can't, just marrying the head of production doesn't guarantee you're going to be a star. The public makes you a star. 
Yeah, or they will reject you. And they, she was a huge star. She in had her the chops life. too. I mean, it wasn't like she was the greatest yeah. actress in the world, but she was a really good actress. And she became. She was. Didn't she come from like they? They were telling her she was ugly and all this other stuff before she even got. Um, before they signed her, they were like, "She's hopeless." Yeah, in the early days of her career, she and her mother were just sort of determined to make her a successful actress, and she knew what she wanted, and she fought for it, and she didn't listen. She was very confident, which I respect greatly. Me too. When, you know, she would take early screen tests, and they would say, uh, you're too short, you're too pudgy, you have a, you have a right eye that sometimes veers a little to the to the other direction. You, you know, can't do this. You can't do that. And she worked on herself and she worked on her figure and she worked on, you know, the her most flattering makeup well. and hairstyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, to me, I thought she was very uh, good looking woman. I thought she was very attractive. She was, but you know, she just didn't have the typical knock your eyes out kind of glamorous no. or just looks maybe from the get-go. She had to work on it a little bit, but she became a great star. She did, and I admire her. So why don't you tell us about the divorce say, which I just saw well, recently again last week. Yeah, it's a great movie, isn't it? I love it. Well, she had kind of a good girl image, really, in Hollywood, and uh, and Thalberg and wanted to keep it that way. She wanted this role. It was based on a novel written by Ursula Parrott, who was a popular novelist in the day. And this, the novel was called Ex-Wife, um, you know, about this woman who sort of insists on what's good for the goose is good for the gander in her right. marriage, which was the groundbreaking of the time. And she, you know, her husband cheats on her basically. And she gets even by cheating on him. She says she balances their accounts. And then, uh, it's a very forward, uh, progressive story for, for a woman. She desperately wanted it. Uh, Irving said, no, I don't think you're sexy enough for the role. <laughs> His own wife. I know, I heard. <laughs> that makes me laugh so much. You're not sexy. Right. She had to convince her own husband <laughs> she was she was uh, sexy enough for this role. So she went to George Harrell. Probably many people have heard the story. Oh, it's legendary. Yes. She went to photographer George Harrell, right, and had him take uh, very suggestive photos of her posing in lingerie and in, you know, Sans uh, underwear, satiny. that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. How could you right, wear underwear with her hair those all tasseled. Things. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, she, her husband was convinced and she got the role and she won the Oscar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. And it really kicked off, um, you know, a trend for these kind of uh, dynamic dames in Hollywood. She did like a whole series. She did A Free Soul with Clark Mm -hmm. Gable. She did. Right. Oh, God. Strangers and They Kiss. Do you? Oh, my God. That movie drives me insane. We have to talk about that yeah. someday. She's not your. She's not a dynamic dame in that. But oh, that movie makes me mad. <laughs> yeah, but she. Well, she followed it up with with. I don't think any of them were quite as as dynamic as uh, Jerry. But a free soul came close, certainly. But she Definitely. had a lot of those kind of roles where she was more of a mature, worldly woman rather than a little girl. Let's say. Yeah. So why don't you tell them a little bit of uh, more? You gave us basically the plot and. Um, they're thrilled. They're in love. They get married. And he thinks she's cool. Who, her co-star is Chester Morris. And um, I love Chester. And his father, 
as a just FYI, he was the head of the William Morris Agency, which was a humongous talent agency for years and years and years. Anyway. Um, I don't even think I knew that Chester Morris's father was the head of the William Morris Agency. So, wow, you're even teaching me something. That's amazing. I'm glad. So, um, yeah, so I guess it really kicks off on their anniversary, right? Yeah, I mean, as you said, they they get married, they fall in love, they get married. She she says that she 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 insists that they're going to have an equal marriage, and he agrees to it. You know, but then what? On their anniversary, um, he's out of town, and a while floozy the cat's comes, away, yeah. the mice will play. Yeah, the floozy yeah, comes. Yeah, Janice, the floozy, right at their anniversary party of all things. Yes. The irony, and and she can detect immediately by the way they're interacting that they have slept together, basically mm-hmm. that something went on between them. Yes, and she confronts him, and he admits it. Yes, but you know, I'm a man, and just is going to happen. You know, just. It doesn't mean a it thing. didn't mean anything. Yeah. Doesn't mean a thing, right? Yeah. Well, she makes him eat those words when she, which I don't blame her because although he's constantly drunk in the movie, he is gorgeous. The, the beautiful Robert Montgomery, Elizabeth yes. Montgomery's father, of she, course, she from co- Bewitch. She co-starred with him quite a bit. Yes, yes, Robert Montgomery, and uh, I love them in Private Lives as well. I think Me too. Mentioned Private Lives, yeah, that's a great movie. But um, so, <laughs> so you can't really blame her. While her husband's away, uh, she sleeps with his best friend, played by Robert Montgomery, and um, then she tells him about it, and he's suddenly not so cool with, uh, oh, it didn't mean a thing. When she says it to him, it's a different story. So I love that this movie really pits that those double standards, you know, for women against the standards for men. It was so groundbreaking in its day. It sure was, 1930, because even today, you know. Even I, today, exactly. Men, we've regressed. Yeah. But think about, like, um, what is that? The, what do they call it? The, the, the law. It's called the unseen law or something for men who kill their wives and their wives' paramours. And it's called, it's something, oh, right. that law, mm-hmm. where, you know, they get away with it because how dare she, that vixen, do this to you? And a lot of men got away with murdering their wives because of that, the, the uh, unspoken law, I think it's called. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, that's, well, that's been a standard for in many cultures for centuries, and right? Still, yeah. And suddenly, yeah, she's turning that on his head. And so they divorce because he's a jackass and he can't live yes. with a woman who's been with another man. How dare she? But yes. it's a fine for him. Yeah. Right. So they divorce and she takes a cruise and she just becomes this, um, you know, free woman who's able to have as many liaisons as she wants with different men. And it's very glamorous. And, um, then she comes back and in the end, you know, she realizes that she loves her husband and they reunite. And so she kind of gets the best of both worlds. She gets to cheat on her husband for, you know, in retaliation to him cheating on her. She gets to embark on a spree of romances with any handsome man that she wants. And then she gets to come back to her husband in the end. So she kind of has her cake and eats it too. And she's not punished. No. And no, she, and, Unless she is being punished by getting back with Ted. You have to wonder about yeah. that. You know, maybe know. she is being punished. I don't know. That we could end that, but she is a definite dynamic dame. And I would if you haven't and she won the Academy Award as well. 
Right. Best actress. Mm-hmm. So she was a dynamic dame, big time, and uh, a groundbreaker, total groundbreaker in 1930. And that was before the code came in in, in 1934. But boy, she was wonderful. And yeah, and good. she really, um, you know, it was. I think it was courageous. I think it's a courageous move for her to play these kind of uh, vixens. You know, you can look at it in retrospect and say, well, it was just good business. You know, it's more salacious, sex sells. But, you know, she had to convince Louis B. Mayer. She had to convince her husband, again, who was, a, you know, a prominent man in the studio. And, and she had to really risk her reputation on it. So I think I think she was bold. I do, too. And I love her. I love Norma very much. I want to do a show on Norma because her story is fascinating. It really is. I love her. Okay, so Mm -hmm. our second dynamic dame is who? Sloane? Our second dynamic dame is the ever-dynamic Garbo in Queen Christina. Boy, oh boy, was she a dynamic dame in that. Yeah. She was a bachelor. (laughs) I love that. I know. That's such a great line when he says, uh, aren't you afraid of dying an old maid? And she says, I have no intention to. I shall die a bachelor. She was badass in that movie, wasn't she? big time. I loved her in that movie. And it has a lot of kind of uh, weird moments, but why don't you tell everybody about it? Well, it's another pre-code, but, you know, this one was released in February 1934, a mere what, six months before the that evil production code came in. Right. And cha- it couldn't have been made six months later. I mean, it, it could have been made, but it would have been a completely different movie. Right. No kiss on the mouth from Countess Ebba. <laughs> yes, yeah, so she was jealous, right? right? That she, she was uh, going to get married. She was upset. Yeah, yeah, because, well, we should tell people, it's, you know, Queen Christina was an actual 17th century queen of Sweden, so it was perfect for Garbo, but she was very eccentric. She was centuries ahead of her time. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was openly bisexual. She was raised in a way to be more like a boy by her father. In fact, when she became queen, when her father died, when she was a girl, uh, she was often called king i mean she was really she was really in essence made a king you know mm-hmm. not just a queen and that's kind of amazing right there um so you know garbo played this role and it was written by her friend salka vertel to be this sort of hybrid of you know it wasn't it wasn't completely historically accurate but that's the way they did movies of course in old hollywood they added a lot to it but it was tailored just for Garbo. And here's what, you know, it's an amazing movie in so many ways, but here's what stands out to me is is this, you know, Garbo's playing this powerful woman with power, the most powerful woman in the country and one of the most powerful women in the world at the time. And Garbo herself was one of the most powerful women in the world at that time. I mean, really, she had so much more power than a, a lot of other actresses and actors in Hollywood because she was at the top of the list as far as international stardom, she had the power to say, I want to play Queen Christina. I want my friend, a female screenwriter, Salka Vertel, to write the story. I want to, I want Ruben Mamoulian to direct it. I want you to cast my old ex-boyfriend, John Gilbert, and give him a role because he needs the work. I mean, she was in command here, you know, so rare and for Hollywood it. for a woman to have that much power. Yeah. And it was good. And, and yeah, John Gilbert, 
Now, she allegedly left him at the altar, and he didn't get the luck in um, in sound movies, which I heard he was sabotaged. I've heard him speak in, in movies, and he, I don't know. They said the first time people heard, heard him speak, they laughed in the theater. What did they expect him to sound like? <laughs> you know, really, you know? Right. Well, there have been rumors that he had a very high, girly voice, but he really didn't. It wasn't that. It was It was more that there was something a little bit too poetic and sensitive and maybe a little lispy about his delivery. And I think he just didn't sound butch enough. But he had so many other problems. You know, as you said, he left Garbo. Yeah, Garbo. Well, reportedly, he punched Louis B. Mayer in the face uh, <laughs> over the whole Garbo scandal. And you don't punch the head of the studio and get away with it. Uh, so I think that was a problem. I think self-sabotage with his own, you know, destructive alcoholism was a problem. So he had issues other than his voice that led to his demise. Right. But um, Greta stood by him and she insisted that he play her paramour in this movie. And how they And meet. it's great to see them yes, together again. It is. Tell everybody. It's, it's just such a... When you think about it, so she's going somewhere, she's dressed, she dresses as as a man, and that's how she's comfortable. She dresses like a man, and they go to this inn, and it's snowy, and everybody thinks she's a guy. So tell everybody else. <laughs> Which is hilarious, yeah. because she's, of course, you know, the beautiful Garbo with lipstick and Yes, and, uh, and eyeliner. <laughs> right. But, you know, hey, folks, it's Hollywood. Right. Get used to it. But she looks fabulous, right, in these costumes by Adrian. Um, and, and she's dressed like a boy. Yeah. Um, but, but very glamorous. A very oh, glamorous man. boy. Love her hats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the hat, the boots. So they're at this inn, and he plays a Spanish envoy, Antonio. And she's undercover, which is actually based on, on on reality. Queen Christina would travel undercover dressed as a man. So that part is true. Um, but the rest is embellished when she meets this man in the inn and it's snowing outside. And, and um, the innkeeper comes and says, I only have one bedroom left for the night. And he sort of says, well, you two men could share it. You could sleep in the same bed. <laughs> it's, just, it's sort of um, hilarious, really. It's, it's done for this comic, you know, for. It's it's milked for all of its comic possibilities, but they do end up spending you know the night together, and um, he realizes that she's a woman, and then they don't leave their bedroom for four days. He fans her and feeds her grapes, right? <laughs> He's feeding yeah. her grapes, and she's feeding him. He grapes. feeds her grapes. <laughs> it's it's a very erotic yeah. scene, right? Of course, no sex. I mean, no you know on camera sex. Yeah. It's all very suggestive, and she's caressing. You know, I love when she's caressing the furniture in a very erotic manner. Yes. It's it's sort of, um, again, you couldn't get away with some of this stuff in a mere six months. So it's no. a great last hurrah because for the production code. It somewhat has. He thinks she's a man. They lay down together and he's like, why am I attracted to this guy? You know, because he's like, <laughs> <laughs> and then he realizes, voila, she's a babe. So, um, but that, I don't think that would have gone over. Do you? Unless it was some sort of comedy or something and the feet were hanging over the bed or something like that. No, they couldn't have done that whole bedroom scene. I mean, they they would have they could have included it, but it would have been completely truncated and and uh, it would have just had to be very implied. Right. But she was perfection in that. I loved her. She has just that right thing. 
her posture is incredible and she just pulls everything off that she did and she did except for two-faced women that's the worst movie that's a bad movie Um, yeah it's just bad that's not her fault no it was a bad um, movie everything about it was bad Um, but you know I think she was great at comedy that was just a bad vehicle for her but look at Ninochka she was brilliant oh I love Ninochka so much Um, and more they had her she actually did Queen Christina actually leave her throne? She did. She she left the throne not for John Gilbert, <laughs> but she left, she abdicated the throne. She was just never comfortable with being in the public eye that way. Um, similar to Garbo, again, so many similarities. And Garbo sort of did the same thing when she retired at age thirty six from Hollywood in nineteen forty one. Uh, it was very shocking. And she left the camera and she never came back. But did you Although see? she almost yeah, did yeah. one point. That's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Did you see the screen test? And then they're like, oh, yes. it's over. We're over her. And she looked beautiful still. I don't know. Oh, yeah. She still looked gorgeous. Uh, she was gorgeous. Yeah, she was gorgeous. She was so talented. You know, Garbo amazes me. And uh, I think when I first saw Queen Christina, it was many years ago. And I, I, I felt, I think I felt it. I thought it was a little bit of a dry, boring, historical uh, you know, thing, because I, I preferred her in more modern movies, I guess. Um, and I don't know what was wrong with me, because the more I watch that movie, the more I'm convinced it's probably her best role. I mean, I love Camille. So Camille, that and Camille, I think, were, were her best roles, certainly in the talkies, because she's amazing in Queen Christina. I mean, she her emotion, everything is so genuine, but also she's a badass. She's a genuine badass who comes in and is the one in control with all these male advisors. She's the one in control, but she does it very well. I mean, she's it's like a lesson in how to be how to be a female ruler and pull it off, you know? I mean, you could people could take notes. She was. Uh, and she, who were aspiring to be the, you know, the president, first female president someday could take notes. dynamic dame for sure. I love how you say um, Christina set sail for Spain and he borrowed an idea from the end of Frank Capra's The Bitter Tea of General Yen, which is a movie I absolutely love. It's rarely seen. But I really, really love this movie. And there is a little bit of a – they, of course they can't have a real Asian man play it because it's against the rules mm. to have, um, you know, a white woman be attracted to an Asian man. But they just still did it. But Niles Astor played him, who – he was this gorgeous Swede, like Greta. And – um it was a really good movie, and I love that sailing scene, both those sailing scenes. It's mm-hmm. really great. Good choice. Great at the end. You know, I love Ruben Mamoulian's final shot, you know, with Garbo on the prow of the ship. And yes. It's, it's, it's enigmatic, but, you know, I see this woman who, um, you know, is just is in control. That's what I see. But I think it's it's deliberately um, ambiguous, so everybody sees something different in it. But I feel like she may not know exactly where she's going, but she knows that she's she's steering the ship And she's going to be life. okay, regardless. <laughs> and she's going to be all right, yeah. No, that was very – I love that, too. Um, okay, who is our next dynamic dame? Well, I think it's time – 
to go for some comedy and talk about the fabulous Myrna Loy as Nora Charles in The Thin Man. Oh, I love her in that. Both of them, they are so amazing in that film. And that's 34, or is it 35? 34. So they were production code, or were they... It, it was, was post-production code, yeah, yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was, it was production code era, no longer pre-code. But they had so much fun with it, with the wink and the nudge. Yes. I mean, that's the great thing about production code movies, right? It wasn't all bad. I like the fact that they had to be a little more, um, you know, subtle Yes, in their, uh, right? That right. makes it good. It makes it good, but I also appreciate the pre-codes for what it shows us, like, wow. Yeah. You know, that they really right. did this. I like both. Yes. I like both. I like the subtlety of the code era, and I like the in-your-face <laughs> of the pre-code. Mm-hmm. But The Thin Man was during the code. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's incredible that Myrna had been in more than 80 movies, incredibly, before she became wow. a major star in The Thin Man. And uh, boggles she, the mind. Yeah, and she played a lot of Asian women or gypsies or something like that. Or, and then she didn't. You know, mm-hmm. she she was a vixen in many of the films. And I think after she did the Thin Man, she was no more the the vixen kind of chick. She was the the nice, the beautiful. Girlfriend. Well, she was everyone's favorite wife. Everyone's ideal, the screen's ideal wife is what she became. Yeah, with the Thin Man. Um, but it was suited her well. I mean, I just can't imagine anyone else in that role. No, she and William Powell were great together, right? And um, yeah, they just, uh, they sort of ushered in a whole new kind of marriage. I mean, you know, marriage was not not usually fun <laughs> in old or a movies. Partnership. I mean, it was no. The guy would go out yeah. to drink with his friends, or he would just go to the bar by himself. But this time, they, I love the opening scene. It cracks me up. Uh, the opening scene when she comes in with, with all the, the Christmas presents. Yeah, and she falls. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. And she really fell. And she said later, I can't believe, you know, I, I, I must have been crazy. I could have killed myself because she really did the stunt. Oh, those were the days. I mean, they wouldn't let anyone do it. It looks like, okay, it's not that dangerous a stunt. It's not like hanging off of a, you know, bridge or something. But it's still, you know, she was a big star. Or in this movie, she became a big star. She was already, you know, something of a star. And right. they wouldn't, I don't think they would let someone fall over on their face with a bunch of Christmas packages and a dog on a leash. You know, uh, they didn't often do that. So she did it herself. She came in. She ended up with her face on the floor (laughs) of the bar where her husband's drinking. And so then she sits down and orders the exact number of drinks that he's had just so they can be on equal footing. I love love that. And she slams him down. And it is Mm -hmm. such a fun movie. Um, It's... I guess it's more around Christmas. They have a great Christmas scene. I I just love the movie. You know, there are a couple of good ones that I like after, but none can ever compare to this one. This is fabulous. Right. No. There were several sequels. In fact, MGM actually flew Dashiell Hammett out to L.A. and gave him a contract uh, so he could keep churning out original stories for the sequel. That's how popular uh, the Thin Man series became. It was huge. and uh, But I don't think any of them ever matched 
the first one. It's no. just classic. Yes. It's made it, in 16 days. Wow. Amazing film. And Myrna, she was a dynamic dame. She was his partner. He loved her. He liked, you know, she'd slug somebody. And she loved when he, you know, he slugged somebody and she said, oh, you have the nicest friends and they're all hoods. They all, they all you know, he, he sent them up the river when he was working as a cop. Right. And, um, She's and she's from a wealthy family. She has a lot of money, and uh, mm-hmm. it's just adorable. And she, he loves her. She loves him. They have fun, like you said. And uh, Asta, what can you say? He's cute. I bet he had a stunt double because Rin Tin Tin did, and so did Lassie, and so did all those horses and all these other things that mm-hmm. had stand in stand in beasts. So, but it's a right, great movie. right. And Myrna, was yeah, fabulous. and. We should also mention that, um, you know, we think this kind of thing only goes on today, but in 1934, Myrna Loy found out that she was only getting half of what w- William Powell earned in The Thin Man. And she went to Louis B. Mayer at MGM and said, well, I should be getting the same that William Powell is getting because I'm an equal partner in this film. And he said, no. And she said, okay, well, then I'm going to go on strike. And she stayed on strike for almost a year until they gave in to her demands for equal payment. Good for Myrna. She was just. Yeah, she was a dynamic game. An equal partner to that. And they were both, I mean, there was not one that was more than the other. They just complimented each other so well. And I loved her. She was funny um, and adorable. And everybody wanted her nose when nose jobs are possible. when they were doing nose jobs, <laughs> women would bring in pictures of Myrna's nose. She had a cute nose. She did. Something about it was just sort of like, um, I don't know, it was a little bit haughty, but mm. in a good way. Very cute. She was a cutie. And I love that movie. And I love William Powell. I'm a big fan of his as well. And that Libel Lady came after that, right? It came in 35, I believe. Yeah. Oh, I love them in Libel Lady. Me too. With Gene and Spence. I That's love that. That's a great movie. That's one of my favorite Me too. screwball comedies. Me too. That's one Brilliant. of my favorite. And it is definitely a four-star movie. And it is maybe even five. It's a great movie. And if you haven't seen mm-hmm. Libel Lady, I would highly suggest it. I think most of you have seen Thin Man. And... You know exactly what we're talking about. So who's our next dynamic dame? Well, speaking of comedy, it doesn't get much more hilarious than Rosalind Russell and his girl Friday, in my opinion. That's 1940, right? So she did the the women first. The women. Yes. The women was 39. And she, uh, again, she was one kind of like Myrna. Both ladies were at MGM and both of them had like many supporting roles and sometimes starring roles and dramas. And they just weren't seen as being hilarious women. No, and, she was uh, upper so crust in a lot of her movies. Yeah, fa, fa, right. Fa, fa, fa. She was. Oh, it's a wonder. <laughs> she did the fa, fa, fa stuff like, you know, the well-bred woman, you know, and the second lead. Yes. And it's funny because actually speaking of that, did you ever see um, the movie, uh, oh, what's it called? Um, Prentice, uh, Evelyn Prentice. Yes, love that movie. From 1934, right. Yeah, they're both in that. Horrible, horrible. 
Because Myrna Loy plays um, <laughs> William Powell's wife, right? And it's a drama. And then Rosalind Russell's the other lady who's cheating on on uh, William Powell on, you know, who, who William Powell's cheating on. And they're both um, very serious melodrama. Well, both women were secretly hilarious. And I love that they finally got to show that. Roz really... Uh, wanted this role in His Girl Friday, which is ironic because Ginger Rogers, Claudette Colbert, Irene Dunn, Jean Arthur, and Carol Lombard all turned it down, wow. as you can imagine. Yeah. But it was perfect. It worked out for the best because can you imagine any of them being better than Roz? I no, can't. No, this she was, was the role she was born for. I, I like her better in The Women, but this, but this for her is a starring role. Whereas the other one is an ensemble. Well, the women, yes, she is absolutely hilarious. That's right. We forgot to, I forgot to circle back to the women. That was the whole point of my digression was that, yeah, she had been doing all these serious movies and she had to fight to get cast in the women because, again, MGM didn't see her as goofy enough. Well, she was totally goofy. She was beyond goofy in that movie. She was unhinged. (laughs) Yes. And so when she proved that she could do comedy in The Women, where she's biting uh, Paulette Goddard's Goddard's, uh, ankle, and so she got, she she was loaned out to Columbia uh, for the wonderful Howard Hawks and with the wonderful Cary Grant in His Girl Friday, a classic. It is, and Cary and she became very good friends, and he even introduced her to her hubby. And he was best man. That's right. Frederick Brisson, who became her producing partner. And they, they produced films. She actually also had a talent for screenwriting. She would write original stories and screenplays under the pseudonym C.A. McKnight. Um, so she was quite a woman, this Roz. And she received the Jean Herschel Humanitarian Award in 1973. Her friend Frank Sinatra presented it to her because she was so charitable. She was, from the moment she... She hit Hollywood. She was um, donating her time to the the Jewish home, the uh, motion picture home, the all of these these causes. She was beloved. She was a really beloved star. And she seemed down to earth and like and in her parts as she got older, she she moved into character roles and she was fabulous in those as well. But they had to right. learn to speak like how many two hundred words a minute or something. It was like 240 words a minute oh in his Girl God. Friday. Yeah, which is, I guess the, the standard is 150. I mean, it's not like most of us keep count of how many words a minute no, we speak, but, but 250 is a lot, right? Super fast. Hawks wanted to break a record for like the fastest dialogue. And, you know, uh, as I say in the book, as I wrote in the book, you know, uh, at first, Roz felt that he, that Hawks was giving all the best lines to Cary Grant. And so she went, she went out and hired an ad man to help her come up with some ad libs that she could sort of, you know, throw in there. And, um, so it worked and she, she kind of got more of the good lines and she ended up, I mean, they, they worked on it all together between the screenwriters and Hawks and then the improvisation that she and Grant did on the set. I think it all kind of melded together into this perfect, mix of of uh you know it was very an very much an equal star kind of movie i mean i think a lot of these women actresses originally turned the part down because they thought well it's it's going to be a cary grant movie he's going to be the main star and i'm going to have the secondary part but Roz kind of went in there and she built up her role until it was equal to grant's role in fact if you notice if you go online 
uh, and look the look up the cast list, you know, it says Cary Grant is first billed and then Rosalind Russell. But when you actually watch the movie, they're actually billed together in like an equal billing. Uh, so, so they're very much equal partners in the, in the movie. And I always thought that was interesting. I do. And I like that. Um, he didn't mind it. He liked her. And the plot, basically, they did have a front page um, in 1931, but Pat mm-hmm. O'Brien played, it was a male, and Adolf Manjou played <laughs> the Cary Grant role. So it was so not the same, and it was a drama. It wasn't a comedy. Um, but she was great, and she, who was that guy, that poor slob, our poor fella, um, who always doesn't get the girl? He's supposed to marry oh, Ralph, Ralph yeah. Bellamy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah. The girl, that poor guy. But he's great too. Oh, he's you fabulous. gotta love Ralph Bellamy. Yeah, oh, I, do. I, I think he him. had a good sense of humor about it oh, about not getting the girl. Why yeah. not? You know, you don't have to do all those, uh, you know, love scenes and stuff like that. And he got to be funny. I loved him in the one with Cary Grant and Irene Dunn, and he plays a guy from I think Oklahoma or something, and she's going to marry him. He's oh wild. yeah, that's the awful truth, right? Hilarious and with his well. horrible mother, you know, who's like. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just great. <laughs> oh, no, he's from Texas, honey. Texas, yes, like you, a dynamic like game me. from Texas. That's you. And, yes, I love that movie. It's very good. And, Rosalind, I really like. And I'm reading here in one of the tidbit notes you have that she – did she co-script this with her husband, The Unguarded Moment? No, actually, she – I said co-scripted in the book. I think it's not entirely accurate. She wrote the story, and then it was adapted by mm-hmm. another screenwriter uh, for The Unguarded Moment, which is the film, a target, you know, really addressing sexual harassment in the workplace mm-hmm. with Esther Williams. So that, that was, again, like I wrote in the book, she and Ida Lupino um, were, were two women in Hollywood in the 50s who actually had some power as producer and director. Roz didn't direct, but Lupino was directing. Who was, she and was who, who, amazing, Ida. I love her. Yeah. Oh, I love her, too. We'll talk about her in a minute. But, you know, both of these women, I really applaud them for in the 50s when it wasn't cool to do so and nobody was talking about it. You know, they used their power to confront um, topics like rape and sexual harassment for women. Mm-hmm. So, amazing. Yes. It was amazing. And the one... What was the... the the one about the rape outrage I that remember. was outrage yeah that was the idol lapino movie outrage yeah and but, she wasn't allowed to actually use the word rape in the film because of our lovely production code right. but that's what it was about and she did some really good ones i mean she did i love the one uh with ed edmund o'brien and they're going to Mexico on a trip and that crazy, crazy hitchhiker in the backseat. The hitchhiker, so yeah. That's a great the hitchhiker mm-hmm. or the bigamist. I mean, she did, she touched on all sorts of angles. I like the one she did with, she just did a bunch of wonderful movies. Just, she was something else. And Rosalind Russell, dynamic dame, deaf. Definitely. Yes. Both of them. Yes. So who's our next one? Well, uh, we'll get back to Ida in a minute, but let's take a detour into Joan Crawford land for Mildred Pierce. And why don't you tell us why is Mildred a dynamic dame? Well, this was a James M. Cain story uh, originally about a a novel, Mm -hmm. you know, about a waitress who, um, if anybody hasn't read the novel, I highly recommend it. It's very different 
or yeah, it's quite different from the movie, as was usually the case in old Hollywood. But um, wow, it's quite an interesting book. Uh, you know, it's about this waitress who's who who separates with her husband, and um, uh, well, no, she's not a waitress. Excuse me, she's, she's a, a housewife, housewife. Yeah. who who bakes pies for the neighbors, and she and her husband separate, and um, over her her bratty daughter Vita who wants the moon and the stars, and she thinks she's entitled to them. And so, long story short, she ends up broke because, of course, she was dependent on her husband, and so she takes her pie-baking skills for the neighbors, and she becomes this great waitress who works her way up to buying her own restaurant and running her own restaurant. So she was... She was housewife. She was also career woman. She covered all the bases. She was mother. A really juicy role, right, for a woman. But originally, um, the director, Michael Curtiz and Warner Brothers, did not want Joan Crawford in that role. She wanted it so badly that... You know, when MGM sort of um, canceled her contract, she was a has-been at 39. She had she had come to Hollywood and signed with MGM in her 20s, I mean, in the silent film days. And she had been there her whole career, and she became a huge star. They canceled her contract at 39. She was a has-been. Well, she went over to Warner Brothers, signed a contract in 1943, but she did not make a film for them for two years because she was sitting waiting for the right property. And when she found Mildred Pierce, she knew that was the right property for her. So she fought to get it. She did. This has also been documented in the semi-fictional but semi-factual movie, uh, Mommy Dearest, if anybody has seen that. Uh, Anyway, she had to fight. Yeah, (laughs) she had to fight for this part. She had to do a screen test, which was a huge indignity for a star of her caliber. Um, But in the end, Curtiz realized she was great for the role. She And it was one of her greatest roles. I mean, it was the only one she won an Oscar for. So she really pulls it off. She does. And, um, yeah, she goes from this. And those cakes she makes, forgets the How do you get such a big cake pan? They're, these are these giant cakes, double layer. She has two daughters. One is Kay, who is adorable. And she's just like a tomboy. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't, you know. And then there's that horrible monster Vita, who is basically <laughs> the albatross around Mildred's neck as a dynamic dame she is but you know as a mother what she sees in well, this she's very <laughs> yeah that that's her that's her achilles heel yes. as a dynamic dame it yeah. definitely she's she's got some problems because she just is um obsessed with this vita who is a no good really vita's a femme fatale if you look at if you look at mildred pierce it's a film noir and it's it's got a woman in the lead right. instead of a man and vita is a femme fatale you can completely interpret it that way yes, and it works on every level a femme fatale Tinsel Town, but not only God, they're true, true. 